Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And then one of them went, "Well, I'll go and get a lobster. You start a fire." which is a sentence no one had ever said to me before. Hello and welcome to another episode of On Jimmy's Farm with me, Jimmy Doherty, and this is the podcast where we discuss environmental issues and try and give everyone a slice of the good life. Now, I am in seventh heaven at the moment because I am in my Lima enclosure. On the farm, we have a wildlife park and we home lots of different animals that need a better forever home and these guys were rescued from a private collection and I've got two species of lemur here. I've got my ringtail lemur which I've got about six of here. Hello guys. They're just parading through the tall grass on the way to the oak tree and they hold their stripy tail aloft. It's almost like a sign to the others to say follow me. A bit like when you go on those tour guides and they hold an umbrella up. And then on the other side of the enclosure just sitting up on the planks here on their nice sun loungers are the beautiful rough lemurs. Hello. We've got two black and white rough lemurs. You're just licking the microphone, aren't you? And they're the cuddliest things you've ever seen. I mean, they do like climbing up and giving you a good old cuddle. They've just had their lunch, so they're just chilling out. Hey, you are so sweet, aren't you? Yes, you are. Hey? Incredible looking creatures. And lemurs are primates, just like monkeys, known as prosimians, and they evolved island of Madagascar in the absence of monkeys and so they fill nearly every biological niche that you find old world and new world monkeys filling aren't you eh? incredibly agile haven't got real like a monkey's face almost like a, a fox or a dog-like face hey look oh yeah he's basically holding my hand and licking my fingers aren't you eh? that's it I've got to go I've got to introduce the guest on today's episode and today's guest is a wonderful guy. I've known him for a number of years and he is a TV presenter, he is a radio presenter, he is a script writer, he is a author, I mean he basically does everything. He's written some most amazing kids books and that is Danny Wallace. Danny Wallace is a, a really lovely guy and he recently moved out from the smoke and moved into my neck of the woods up here in Suffolk and we have a long rambling chat about what it's like to move out of the city, moving into the countryside, the things he loves, the things he misses, going on wonderful walks. I think he misses a lot of the sort of the restaurants he would find in London, but equally he loves the beautiful coastal walks. He's got a dog, apparently his dog wears glasses, which I've never heard of before. We have a really good chat, really interesting, really lovely guy. And I will meet you all back here in the lemur enclosure 
eating some fruit. Isn't that right, guys? Yeah? You ever seen the film Madagascar? Danny, thank you so much for coming on my little podcast. Thank you very much for having me on your little podcast. I wouldn't say it's very little. There's lots of room. <laughs> it's lots of room. It's all about the countryside, so there's loads of room. There's loads of room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how long have I known you now? Because you sent me a text message or an email saying that you just moved to the area. How long ago was that? Well, that would have been about five years ago, I think. Yeah, as long as that. But of course, it's been interrupted by certain world events, which is, still makes me feel like I'm brand new here. But I think when you move to a city, you get used to it a lot quicker. But when you move to the countryside, I think it, it takes a lot longer. I think that, I mean, there's a woman down my street. She was like, have you just moved in? And we were like, yes, five years ago. And we were like, what about you? And she's like, I've been here 30 years and I still feel brand new as well. So I don't know what it is about the space, but it takes a while. It's a funny thing, isn't it? That sort of feeling of acceptance. But even so, that if you're living in a city, I think you, you know your neighbours more in some ways when you live in the countryside. But why did you move? What was the reason for you to move out to Suffolk? It was just time, you know? It sort of creeps up on you. I felt that London, where I'd lived for 20, 25 years, was getting narrower and angrier and louder. And I started having kids, or my wife did. You know, we were in it together. (laughs) And I remember there being a moment where it had taken me about 45 minutes to drive through traffic jams about two miles to try and pick up my son from school and his little sister was in the back as well and we were in the reverse traffic jam if you like going home and suddenly the shock on their faces the fear when right next to us an ambulance turned on its siren and shot off it was such a jarring moment and I remember that being a moment where I thought man you know I think we need to go somewhere else I think we need to be somewhere where There aren't going to be these shocks and the school will have outdoor spaces and my son won't get into trouble for having to, you know, on break time, they used to have to walk them to a local park and there was a hipster coffee shop and in the window was a mug with a very rude word on it, Jimmy. I won't say it, you've probably never heard it. And my son, who was, you know, saying what he saw all the time, read out the word and got into huge trouble for essentially being a very sweary child when it wasn't his fault. He shouldn't have been walking past, you know, hipster coffee shops in quite stabby areas to try and find a moment of grass, the thing that grows from the ground. So, you know, it was that kind of thing, combined with lots of others, that that made us think we need space and trees and the different type of sunshine you get in the countryside, you know. I still go to London a lot, but it's when you're on the train back when suddenly the buildings get smaller and the sky gets bigger and you get more sunshine and more clouds and you can breathe. Yeah, you suddenly see the sky, don't you? I know it sounds strange, but you see the expanse of sky where if you're in the city, if you're in London, you're just looking up between sort of buildings. So it's interesting because a lot of people make that move when they have children because they want to create this childhood for their kids that is a bit more Huckleberry Finn-esque and you slow the growing process. You know, it's great being streetwise, but at the same time, you still want that naivety in your kids. You go every single week to do your radio show in London, don't you? I mean, so you still go to London every single week, but do you get that lovely feeling when you're coming back on the train? Do you feel that it is home now? It's not like an alien place. 
Yeah, completely. You know, there's lots to do in London because I've lived in different cities. I've lived in Berlin. I've lived in Los Angeles. And there's something about London. When you are in the back of a cab and you look at your maps on your phone, you see that everything is convenient. Everything is right there, which obviously you don't get so much in the countryside. There is no Deliveroo. I miss Thai food. I remember going out one night in London and I really wanted beef and holy basil and chili Thai food. And I didn't know where it was, but I just started walking and I knew that within 10 minutes I'd have found it. And of course, I found it. I would be walking 100 miles where I, where I now live before I found even a hint of the Thai food I required. And I do, I get my sort of fix by going back to London and or any city really, but I find myself arriving there doing whatever job it is Let's say I have to be in Soho at 10 and I'm in Soho at 10 and I do the job and I'm done by 11. Now I could go and I could eat something nice. I could phone up friends. I could have a long lunch in a pub. But generally what I feel is I want to go home and I want to be home because I, I like golden hour, you know, where everything looks like a dream and the whole world looks incredible. And there was a moment with my little girl, two images that really stand out for me which was just her in a big field catching the rainbow that you get reflected in a sprinkler, something as silly as that, and her just grabbing it and it feeling like a special moment that could only have been somewhere with space and sun and no shadows. And I remember her walking down these steps and dragonflies and bees and butterflies all kind of scattering out of the... It just felt like... You mentioned, you know, children's literature and that Huckleberry Finn-esque thing. Yeah, I just hoped that in the same way that one of my earliest memories was chasing a big, fat black cat round a garden when I lived in a tiny village in Scotland, I want that moment to be imprinted on her, seeing the dragonflies fly, particularly because in 10 years there may not be any. So, you know, those moments are good. But weirdly, before we... before They are the special moments. They are, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a thing that we all want for our kids, that lovely sort of element. But it's not always as easy as everyone makes out, because I think almost like half the amount of people that move out to the countryside move back to cities. There are things that you give up, like the idea you can't just pop out and there's a Thai restaurant, you know, every couple of feet or you don't get delivery and all that kind of stuff. But what about the, I suppose, what about the stereotypes that you get in the countryside? Did you have any preconceptions or have you met any of those stereotypes? Well, listen, people drive quite slowly, don't they? Sometimes... <laughs> yeah, you've been behind me, basically, haven't you? Yeah, it'll be... Well, <laughs> I've seen you drive through town in some giant contraption. Some big blue old fire engine or something. So you immediately became one of those people. And you get the tractors and you get the cars that appear to just be driven by a pair of knuckles. <laughs> just a pair of knuckles and maybe the the hint of a rumour of a whisper of the top of someone's hair. You know, and they've got the back door, the trunk is open. And you're like, surely they know. But of course they have no idea. So yeah, there's a little bit of that. I did jury service. I looked around and they said, you've all been chosen because you represent the width and breadth of this county. And I looked around and it was just white people, older white people. And I thought, this is the width and breadth? Really? I've walked into a pub with my wife and she's gone to check the other room. And just a series of elderly white men, like in a Western, just turn around and see a woman and they're like, 
and you are. So I know that those are sort of like the cliches, but they happened. And that's why they're sort of their cliches. But in terms of the convenience, we had actually, I think it would have been more of a culture shock to move where I live from London. But in between, we moved to Los Angeles. And I mean, talk about a lack of convenience. It got me used to things in a sense, because, you know, I'd go to say a toy shop, big toy chain and try and get this toy and they'd go we haven't got it here but we do have it in our other branch and so you go okay I'll go there and you look it up and it's 18 miles away and yet over there it's completely normal you just go yes I'm happy to drive an hour to go and get this toy whereas can you imagine even in London if you went to the corner shop and have you got any milk and they go we don't but we do have some at Heathrow it's like there's no way you would just get in your car and drive there and so you get the culture shock was lessened by that culture shock. It was just great to be back. What about some of the things that people aspire to when they move to the countryside? Because often when you, you look at magazines, it's flowing dresses or, or go out and collect the eggs from the, a couple of hens you keep in the garden. Have you done any of that? Have you grown your own veggies or you, have you started your own garden or things like that? We got much more into that kind of thing. I mean, the day we are talking now is exactly two years to the day since the lockdown was announced. And I'd actually seen you a few days before when the lockdown was a rumour. And you had handed me some hand-reared meat. And it felt very much like an exchange during World War Two. It was like, go careful, Danny. Take this meat. Get across the borders. I'll see you after the war. And... That kind of set a, a certain vibe. Yes, we own Hunter's Wellies. We have a bell tent. We've used neither really much. And we got a greenhouse because it suddenly became like, we should be doing this. This will be exciting and it'll be good for the kids. And there's something about the joy of the slow. And that is, you know, that's increasing, I think, whether it's weirdly slow video games, peaceful video games are really doing well at the moment as opposed to the frenetic because I think we are starting to appreciate the seasons and there's nothing better i now know when my magnolia tree blooms and i know how long for i know that if i cut stuff back all right it looks terrible but i haven't destroyed it it will grow and apart from the storms which destroyed my brand new greenhouse shattered into a million pieces in a 72 mile an hour wind while i tried to run out and rescue it and my glasses just whipped off my face the lenses shot out of them and i thought <laughs> it was a cross between one of those final destination movies where just the world is out to get you and yeah just uh, mr bean yeah so i have to refocus my growing stuff i'm going for chilies and tomatoes and basil probably because of that thai food <laughs> yeah, i just well. realized that's exactly i was going i want chilies i want tomatoes i want basil obviously it's because of the thai thing all i need now is to come around your house and get another leg of beef Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. 
Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There you are. This is exactly right. But it demonstrates that make, do, amend element. I remember when you came to see us and I gave you that meat. It was almost under the table wasn't it It was almost like the whole lockdown pandemic thing was looming and everyone was like well what's going to happen but I do think we escaped the I do not the restrictions in any way but it didn't feel so severe being in the countryside as opposed to when you went into a city where it looked like some sort of zombie apocalypse film where the streets were totally empty life sort of carried on but one thing was definitely for sure is that there was definitely a re-engagement with the natural world. I think people got more in tune with with wildlife, you know, walking their dogs in the parks and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's one thing that happens when people move to the countryside. They plug back into nature, like you getting a greenhouse or knowing when your magnolia's out or knowing that you're going to prune a hedge, it's going to come back. You learn those sort of skills again. And I think there's definitely a yearning that people need to reconnect. And there's a definite healing power to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, just having the outdoors, having our own bit of outdoors was so important. You know, they talk about there was a study done recently with thousands of kids that found out that kids who grow up just near trees, trees specifically, have fewer mental health problems as they go into teenagerdom. Just the presence of nature and trees is so powerful and uh, required. And we were learning loads about it. We watched a couple of your shows, one horrific one, in which you attempted to destroy my children's childhood with the death of a lamb, I think it was. And one actually useful one, which was to do with wild garlic, which redeemed you. And there's a wood near us, and we went there, and we were, like, you know, tramping about in the stream, and we smelt the wild garlic, and we applied, you know, what you had uh, taught us, and we picked some, and we thought, you know, you rub it into a steak. And so it was a time of sharing and learning skills and appreciating what's around you. And, you know, because it was apocalyptic. I remember I still had certain bits of work I had to do. I had to drive out near Heathrow, and it was just an empty kind of motorway, and huge signs... <laughs> flashing just saying you cannot go to France and I wasn't trying to go to France but just the idea that I, I couldn't and it was meant for lorry drivers I think but I was just like oh my god Lee, I want to turn this car around and get back to the countryside very odd times but for you work I mean you could do your radio station for home during the pandemic and obviously your comedy writing and all that kind of stuff but your books your kids books 
My kids absolutely love it. But the latest one is the day the screens went blank, isn't it? Yeah, that's one of them. Yeah. But that is really interesting because the idea of the pandemic or moving to the countryside, having more of that childhood where you're not reliant on screens. Was any of that influential in the book? Yes. So the title came to me first, The Day the Screens Went Blank. And I thought, um, sometimes when an idea comes to you, you then have to work out what to do with it if you think it has something. And it had something. And I thought, I think this is a comedy horror for kids. But I also think it's a bit of a comedy horror for grown-ups because we all, I'm not in any way anti-screens. I think they're brilliant. And I think that we have learned that they can be used as almost magic portals to summon up your grandma, say, in times where it's harder to see them. And so I started writing it, and I was writing it on an old airbase up in near Rendlesham Forest, which is known as the site of Britain's Roswell. And it's an old sort of Cold War style. It's old. I mean, it's weird to drive up there. It's eerie, especially in the winter. And you have to drive down a runway to get to these sort of square buildings. And the clouds move fast, and it's there's old war planes, and sometimes an Apache helicopter lands right outside your window. And... All of that kind of influenced the sort of the the vibe of the book. But then I realised that just taking away the screens, although this was a weird change in the world, the actual world outside the window was getting weirder and weirder. And so I tried to almost write about the pandemic in a hidden way, taking away the kind of the scariness and the fear of it, but going, what happens if there is one huge change? And so this kid has to get from Cornwall all the way to Suffolk with no screens because they want to check on grandma because no one's got her landline number. No one keeps numbers in their heads anymore. You can't look at the screen to find it. And it becomes about kind of sort of like everything we've just talked about, really, appreciating the world around us and and small kindnesses. Yeah, you see, that idea of travelling from Suffolk to Cornwall without any screens, for me these days, would just be a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because like you, I pass them back, like, you know, have a screen, have a screen. But I'm constantly saying get outside, look at the uh, the tadpoles in the pond and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons people want to have their kids growing up in the countryside to remove them from screens. Not because, like you say, screens, we use them all the time and they're part of our life. It's like saying the electric light is bad. But having something that is connecting them to nature or a simpler way of life is really important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And weirdly, I mean, screens can be great for that as well. You know, plant identifiers, that could be interesting. Holding it up and seeing the stars that you're able to see suddenly in the countryside. When my kids realised you could see stars, that was a revelation, just because they hadn't really seen them in that number before. You know, they'd seen a few, but not like a galaxy above their heads, you know. And all of that means, you know, so much. Cleaner air, uh, obviously, a lack of smog. And being able to sort of, yeah, appreciate the surroundings. To know that we can just walk down to the river if we want to. And we'll smell it before we see it. To know that, you know, okay, it's not Alton Towers. But there's other amazing stuff kind of nearby to do with the real world that we can see. Those are great, very sort of shareable moments that you remember. Although we haven't been crabbing yet. We're supposed to go crabbing. By law, you have to go crabbing. You've got to go crabbing. I've got all the kit. You can use all the kit. You, you haven't lived there. Well, I mean, that sounds impressive, Jimmy, but isn't it just a piece of string? <laughs> That's all it is, to be honest. It's a bit of string and a bit of bacon on the end. But it's great because when you get a crab, you feel that you have, you know, it's like pulling a tuna out or something. You feel that there's a wind there. What about den building? you built any dens yet? Yeah, we've done a little bit of den building. I want a zip line. Uh, that's mainly for me. What? <laughs> 
But I like the idea of what you just mentioned with the crabbing. The thing is that I'm still quite a city boy and I don't want to catch a crab. I'm happy to go crabbing, but I don't want to catch a crab. I remember being on a fjord with a couple of mates in Norway, a couple of Norwegian guys, and we were trying to catch fish and we caught one and I was absolutely disgusted. I was like, what are we doing? Like, I'm happy to sit on this boat, but I didn't realise we were actually going to catch a fish. What happens then? I just did not want to eat that in any way, shape or form. But the only time I've lived in a comparable place, it was quite an extreme thing. I spent several months out on a remote island off the coast of New Zealand called Great Barrier. And there weren't many people there. It was in the hundreds, I think. And I got very used to the sort of the countryside way of life there because you had to thank everybody you passed in the car, whether they'd done something for you or not. You had to raise your finger. You had to acknowledge people, nod at them. You had to take them in. And after a few months of that, when I did actually, I mean, these were proper men as well, not like us, Jimmy. These were proper New Zealanders. And I remember we had to film something on this remote little bit of the remote island. And we had, as a prop, a Jeroboam of champagne. And we didn't want to take it back with us. So we thought, well, why don't we just sit here and drink it? And then one of them went, well, I'll go and get a lobster. You start a fire, which is a sentence no one had ever said to me before. So the other guy had to start the fire. I took care of opening the Jeroboam champagne and he came back with a lobster and just cooked it. I thought, I didn't know the world worked like that. I thought you had to buy these things. I thought they had to be prepared for you. But he just dived off a boat, got one, brought it in and cooked it. That's an alien world to me. I know it's second nature to you. You know, you you only have to be in a field and five minutes later there's a cheeseburger. But for me, I require a purchase. (laughs) I require a receipt. (laughs) But I quite like that, that element of just being able to get into an environment and do stuff but there is different levels of people that can do that and I've been in the Yukon with a couple that went and shot moose and they lived throughout the winter and they only washed once every two weeks and I was like oh god I used my month's worth of wood in five days because I had a fire every night and kept really warm and, and washed three times a day and had a bottle of whiskey and watched a film on my iPad but there is yeah because you're not mad no no but there's something very rewarding we had to do these sort of basic things I think but you often find with guys coming from the city and I had a load of people over the weekend including yourself is that Often the guys from the city, if you do something like that, they find it slightly emasculating. You know, if they say, you light a fire, and they're like, um, uh, what, where's the button kind of thing. Did you find that at all? Have you found in situations like that? I've been in plenty of situations like that, but I've never felt emasculated by it. In fact, <laughs> I sort of like it. I'm impressed by it. I appreciate other men. I like men who look convincing wearing a big watch. Because if I wore one, I would look ridiculous. It's all about the forearm for me. Like, I had to get a helicopter with a complete stranger once, and I looked at his forearm and I thought, he can probably fly this thing. I think I'm going to be all right. (laughs) And if we do crash... (laughs) Just by the forearm. Yeah. If we do crash, he's strong enough to sort of pull me out the wreckage, so I think it'll be fine. And we ended up landing on a volcano. It was lovely. True. Anyway, I quite like that. And it's good to sort of learn these things. And I think if you're confident in your own abilities, with your own sort of things that you do, it's like, all right, can't light a fire. But go on, write me a quick novel. Yeah, exactly. I think there's something to be learned on both sides of that, because I think with sometimes men in rural communities, they can be overly macho. And it's like, oh, come on, you know. You can't all live in the woods or whatever else. But that's what your podcast is about, isn't it? Manatomy. It's all about men talking about their bodies and everything else. 
Yeah, it's stuff that we don't normally talk about. So men tend to sort of make fun of each other a little bit, which is all well and good. But also, I mean, everyone's got things they're secretly proud of, whether it is a wonderful forearm that displays a watch magnificently and is lightly tanned from the helicopter, <laughs> yeah, or whether it's things they're hung up about, you know, whether it's back hair or nipples or their ears or whatever it might be. And we just talked to some well-known men and a few women about these things and about why we are the way we are. And it's been brilliant, actually. We've had, you know, Stephen Fry and Gary Lineker and Jack Whitehall and people just really opening up about this stuff, which is fun. But it's always funny as well. That's the weird thing. We think men can talk very seriously about stuff, but there always has to be a joke at the end. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That always, I was just trying to think of a joke now. You've got to hide that kind of thing and be the tough guy. But moving to the countryside now, is there a time you think you'd move back to the city or are you now, you're set on living out here? Well, I think it really, it sort of depends. I guess a long-term plan might be give the kids uh, wonderful clean air and trees and space and let them have time don't make everything so busy all the time let the days feel longer let the Sundays you know when you were a kid Sundays were so boring it's like nothing to do I mean but it's great isn't it when you sort of look back and you remember those long summer holidays and stuff I think a bit of that would be good and then depending on their choices and what they're able to do when they're a bit older perhaps me and my wife might move back to the city or perhaps we just get a smaller place in the countryside and learn how to make fires. What about animals? Are there any animals that you've got since moving to the countryside you wouldn't have got in the city? Yes. Oh, jeez. I mean, we don't make life easy for ourselves. Every time there's a point where, oh, the kids have just started to sleep. Right, let's get a cat. Oh, cats are nocturnal, aren't they? We'll find that out the hard way. Um, oh, we've forgotten about the cat thing. Let's get a dog. Yeah, oh, dogs t- Dogs are sick everywhere, aren't they? And we managed to get a dog, and she's a lovely little dog. But, I mean, she asks a lot of me. I'm essentially, she thinks I'm her butler. I call her Hassel. And also, Hassel, everything went wrong with Hassel within about a week. It was like buying a clown car. that We'd used up the year's insurance in one week on this dog. And everything went wrong. And nothing stayed in her. She couldn't open her mouth. She couldn't untilt her head. She'd suddenly lose half her body weight and then put on twice as much. We had to squirt food into her mouth. She couldn't blink. At one point, I had to sit there with a vet. As the vet went, it is highly likely your dog will need to wear glasses. Now, I'm there going, we can't both wear glasses. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to get my eyesight corrected. I can't walk around both. We'll look like the proclaimers. Well, you end up looking like your dog, don't you? So, or dog looks yeah. like their owners. So. <laughs> Yeah. We now have these uh, animals. But I'll tell you what, the dog, who is a typical dog, a bit stupid, very enthusiastic, very loving, lots of energy, just wants to be best mates with the cat. And the cat is the coolest cat you've ever seen. She's a Bengal. She's like the teenager. And she totally accepts this mad friend of hers and tolerates her as well. And in the evening, at golden hour, I'll let them into the bigger garden and they just chase each other. They just run around, they get all erect, and they just chase each other, and they're having the time of their life. And when you see that, you forgive them everything. You just go, I shouldn't call you hassle. And cat, I'm sorry for calling you chores. I love it. You know. <laughs> That's what the countryside's made for. You've added something, I suppose. <laughs> Listen, Danny, it's been brilliant. I love hearing your adventure about moving to the countryside, and I just want to see you walking down the river one day with your dog, 
wearing its glasses. Yeah, exactly. We'll get confused. I'll end up wearing the glasses. All I need now is a <laughs> shotgun and a pitchfork, and I think I'll fit in. <laughs> well, I'm still here with the lemurs, just hanging out with one of the rough lemurs here. He's just picking through the clover. A few little flowers. Oh, jumped on my knee. There we are. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Danny is such a lovely guy. He is so funny and so eloquent. And you've got to check out his books. My kids absolutely love them. They're so well written. Kids love them, but adults love them as well. It really does. Some of the storylines really do make you giggle. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, leave comments wherever you find your podcast because it really helps new listeners find us and join in with all the fun. So I'm just going to stay here now under the oak tree in the afternoon sun tickling this lemur. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.